Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, hey, welcome to the Father's House. Uh, I know they said it already, um, but this is like the second week in a row where there's been like 20 or 30 new folks in the, in the room as guests. So thank you for showing up. I don't know how you got here. Uh, if someone invited you, I hope that you like them. Um, if you saw an ad on the back of the bus, man, I'm so glad those are still running. I haven't paid for them in about 11 months, uh, but they're still up there. So thank the Lord that you found out about the church one way or the other. It's an honor to have you with us at the Father's House. Uh, we are starting a brand Brand new series today. How many were here last week? This is one of those weird like condemnation questions where if you don't raise your hand, everyone's looking around at you. Uh, we concluded a series last week entitled Beyond Basic and uh, we talked about eternity and the importance of living for eternity and uh, had a lot of people come up to me after the service and say that it kind of messed with them in the best way possible. So if you were not here, uh, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, eternity is real. We're all going to show up there at some point and uh, you want to know how to answer the questions when you get there. So uh, take a listen to that on the website or through the podcast. But today I'm excited because we're starting a brand new one called Supernatural. And we're going to be talking about how to live a supernatural life. And I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I've been excited about this series for quite some time now. Uh, and since we're super creative here at the Father's House, we called it, ready? Supernatural. I know. It's just, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Now, I know that the second you say that word in church, it makes some people really uncomfortable and others really excited. It's a bit of a trigger word in church circles. Because when I say supernatural, all the hyper-Pentecostals in the room are like, yes, finally, fire tunnels, treasure hunting, here we go, all right? It's gonna be amazing. Some of you have no clue what those two things mean. <laughs> you should feel very fortunate. Others who are the recovering Lutherans and Baptists in the room, you're like, okay, just when I was starting to like this church, now we're going to talk about all the weird stuff. This is when they start barking in tongues and rolling around on the floor laughing and things are going to get weird. I got to find a new place to worship. Well, fear not. Uh, that's not what the series is about. And we're not that church. Um, minus the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and tongues. We'll talk about that during one of the sessions here in this series. Uh, but no one's rolling around on the floor. No one's barking. Uh, if they are, we'll put a leash on them and it's gonna be great. <laughs> but I, I wanna make supernatural very natural for all of us in the room. And let me offer you a very simple definition as we get into this series uh, because I think it'll help some of us wrap our heads around this. Supernatural simply means this, only God. Only God. Living a supernatural life should elicit an only God kind of response from people around you. Like only God could have done that. Only God could have provided that. A supernatural life is where people point at your life and they say, only God could have opened that door. Only God could have healed that sickness. Only God could have provided in that way. Only God could give you that level of joy as you walk through a situation like the one you're walking through. Only God. That's what supernatural means. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be spooky. It's an only God factor in your life. And it is my conviction that as believers in Jesus, if you would identify as one of those this morning, that a supernatural life should be normal life for you. It should be a, a part of your natural existence. You gave up the right to normal life the second you said yes to Jesus. 
The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. If there's something on the inside of you that resurrected somebody who was dead and brought them back to life, you're not normal anymore. You're not natural any longer. You don't do things the way that everybody else does. No, you should be living a supernatural life. It should be normal for believers. It is also my conviction that living a supernatural life is one of the most attractive things to unbelievers because it doesn't make sense. When they look at your life, when they, they look at your response to things, they're like, how is this possible? And you can utter that simple statement, only God. Only God could give me this level of peace. Only God could do what he's doing in my life right now. I know it doesn't make sense, but you should meet the God who has added a super to my natural life. All of us should be living that. And so my desire, my design over the next couple of weeks as we go through this series is to provoke you to supernatural living. <laughs> If you are living a very normal, predictable, mundane life, if Christianity has in any way become a religious activity for you and you're just checking the boxes and doing the stuff, but there is no supernatural component to your life, I wanna stir up that supernatural thing on the inside of you and begin to see you and do life a little bit differently than we were before. I want us to live supernatural lives. And so as the sermon graphic suggests here, uh, we're going to be filling in that blank. And uh, this sermon series is gonna be brought to you by the letter P in true Sesame Street fashion. And all of the words that we're gonna be discussing over the next few weeks start with the letter P because we all know that Jesus loves alliteration. That's how he talks. So uh, today I'm gonna give you your first P word if you're taking notes. Today I wanna talk to you about supernatural perspective. Supernatural perspective. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, thank you Jazzy, I appreciate that. And here's why, here's why I wanna start out with this word. If we're going to truly live supernatural lives, we need to begin to see life from a supernatural lens. We need to begin to look at our circumstances and our world a little differently than the natural world does. We need to see things supernaturally. And so uh, I want to look at a story in the book of 2 Kings, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Chapter 6, if you don't, fear not, we're going to put it on the screen for you. Uh, but 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8, says this. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, don't go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and he demanded, which of you is the traitor who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were the troops, horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Come on, I love that. Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, 
he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Now, pause there real quick. How many of you were like um, Star Wars or Star Trek kind of people? You're not my people, but I just want to know who you are. Okay. <laughs> this next part of the story is going to be for you. Check this out. As the army and army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, You've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. I'm not the man you're looking for. Follow me and I will take you to the man that you're looking for. And he led them into the city of Samaria. That is such a Jedi move right there. Like, I'm not the man you're looking for. Like, oh, okay. If you didn't think Jedis exist, they do in the Old Testament. It's awesome. I'm gonna read one more scripture and then we're gonna get into this. Psalms chapter 34, verse three. It says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Uh, if you're going to take notes, I want to title this chat, Just Look Up. Just Look Up. Let's pray and uh, we'll get into it. Father, we thank you today for your church and I thank you for your presence. Um, I thank you that the promise from your word is that every time we gather together in your name, you have guaranteed that you will be there in our midst. I thank you that this morning we have not gathered to do something uh, to check a box and say that we fulfilled our religious obligation for the weekend, but we gathered because we believe what your word says, that you are here today. And if you're here today, I pray first and foremost that we would sense your very nearness. I ask right now anyone who's never sensed the nearness of Jesus, that right now in this place they would sense you sitting right next to them, right by them, ready to minister to their heart. And over the next few moments as we study your word, I pray that you would transform us Changes from the inside out before we leave this place today and watch the ballerinas across the street. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, as a pastor, I, uh, I know that it is absolutely imperative that I maintain an attitude of humility. Um, the Bible says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And the last thing I want is to be the object of God's opposition or our church to be the object of God's opposition. I want his grace. I need his grace. Our church needs his grace. And I'm grateful that the grace of God rests on our church and it rests on our lives. And as long as we maintain an attitude of humility, God's grace will always be upon us. So it is with hesitation that I say what I'm about to say, but doing my best not to brag, I need to say, there is an area of my life where I have achieved absolute perfection. I simply cannot improve. It's as good as it gets. And I know what you're thinking. It's his ankles. I know they're great, the ankles of an Adonis. But no, uh, that is not what we're talking about this morning. Not my ankles. <laughs> That's for you, Smarty. He was commenting on my ankles earlier. Um, I have perfect vision. I'm just going to throw that out there. And I don't mean that like, you know, as, and, and in the analogous sense, like spiritually. I can see absolutely fine. And I'm not here to insult people who are wearing glasses, but I have 20-20 vision. I'm sorry. I was born this way, and the doctors have confirmed it. I can see everything. When I was younger, my dad used to call me eagle Eye because I could see everything. And, and again, I'm not bragging. I'm just stating a fact. Now, my wife has not been blessed with the same gift. For most of her life, you might actually call her cursed in the area of her eyesight. Uh, she had to wear glasses for most of her life, including her most of her adult life. And I don't mean like just the glasses you pick up at your run-of-the-mill grocery store. I mean glasses that are like, like, like glasses. Like you're wondering, like, 
Is that bulletproof? Is someone trying to take out your eyes or do you just have really bad vision? Like what's, what's the issue there? And so her and I made a deal. And before we moved to San Francisco a few, a few years ago, she said, listen, I know it's a little bit windier in the Sunset District and I do not want to have to put drops in my eyes all the time if I'm wearing contacts. So I will be getting LASIK before we move. And I'm like, okay, we'll take care of business. So we take her to the doctors and they're like, listen, your eyesight is so screwed up. You actually don't qualify for LASIK. But we do have another surgery available to you called PRK. And I won't go into the details because it's kind of gruesome what they do to your eyeballs. But it makes it so that you can see correctly. So she goes to the eye doctor and she gets this PRK surgery. Uh, but the side effect of the surgery is that for a few days, she's basically blind. She can't see at all. Uh, she had to wear a blindfold because any form of light would cause extreme pain to her eyeballs. And so they said, you're going to have to take care of her for a few days. So we shipped the kids off to my in-law's house, and I took care of my wife while she was blind for a few days. And, uh, you know, I had to do everything. I had to take her to the bathroom, and I had to put her food in front of her on the table. And I can neither confirm nor deny that I'm going to mess with her a little bit and move some stuff around the house. Just to, <laughs> thought it was kind of fun. Um, but after a few days, she started to be able to see again, and today I think she has virtually perfect vision as a result of the surgery. Yes, we can applaud the greatness of medicine. But there was a moment uh, a few days after she began to see again where we went outside in the backyard, and like the world was coming alive to her again for the first time. She's like, oh my gosh, do you see all the colors? And it's so beautiful out here. And we walked into the backyard, and uh, as she's looking around, she looks up at our roof. And our roof at our old home had some solar panels on it. And as she's looking at the roof, she kind of stops, and she gets really nervous. And she's like, uh, babe, do, do you see that? And I look up, and I'm like, I, I, no, what are you talking about? She's like, that, underneath the solar panel. I'm like, I, I don't see what you're talking about. She's like, go get the BB gun. That's a pigeon. And not because she likes to kill pigeons. I'll explain in just a moment. Uh, when you have solar panels, you don't want the pigeons to get underneath the solar panels because they make a mess underneath there and it, it hurts the panels and they're very expensive to replace. So I'm looking and I'm like, I, I don't see any pigeons. And she's like, it's right there. And I'm staring and I'm like, I, I just don't see it. So I get behind her and I do that thing where like somebody points and you're trying to follow their finger, you know, behind them. You've all done that, right? And I'm like, where are you pointing? And she points and I'm like, that right there? She said, yeah, that's a pigeon. And I'm like, no, that's a pole. She's like, no, it's a pigeon. And I'm like, no, it's a pole. And she is adamant, babe, it is a pigeon. I finally said, listen, I know you got these new eyeballs and you think you can see things now, but I've been at this for a little while. And let me tell you, that is a pole. It is not a pigeon. How many want to guess what it was? It wasn't a pigeon, it was a pole. What's wrong with you? No, come on, it was a pole. Man, no respect here. <laughs> Two people were staring at the exact same thing, but they saw something different. Someone say perspective. Isn't it amazing that two people can look at the exact same thing, at the exact same situation, and see two completely different things? Someone can look at a situation and see a problem while somebody else sees a possibility. Someone can see an obstacle while the other person sees an opportunity. Someone can see a situation while somebody else sees a solution. Like, it is all a matter of this simple word, perspective. I wonder what kind of perspective you have today. I wonder what kind of perspective you have as you survey your financial situation your relationships, 
your marriage, your job? What sort of perspective do you have about your world? Because if we go back to this story I read just a moment ago, here's the problem we're facing. We have an issue of perspective. We have two people staring at the exact same situation, but looking at it completely differently. Elisha's servant, Gehazi, he comes to Elisha, and he says, uh, we have a problem on our hands. He wakes up one morning, wipes the crusties from his eyes, he looks out over the, the city of Dothan, and what does he see? He sees a gigantic army surrounding the city with one task, take these two guys out. Bring them back so that ultimately they can be killed off by the king of Israel. That's, that's what they're there for. And what does he do? He runs back to his master, to Elisha, and he says, um, we have a serious problem on our hands. There is an, an entire army here for just the two of us, and we're going to die. That's exactly what's going to happen. And he begins to do what seems natural. He, he freaks out. He's like, this is where it ends. Elisha, what are you going to do about this situation? I'm your servant. I'm not even married yet. I'm going to die a virgin. Like, this is terrible. Do something. Don't get all spiritual on me. Some of you have prayed that prayer before. Father, don't send the the Lord Jesus back to the earth before I get married. Okay, I just want to get married first. and Okay, we're going to work it out. (laughs) What are we going to do? He, he, He doesn't see what Elisha sees. And... It seems reasonable that he would respond to the situation the way he does, right? There's an entire army surrounding them. But I find it peculiar because if you just go back for the last couple of chapters, you'll notice that this servant, Gehazi, he has seen some pretty supernatural things in his life, even in the last year. If we play out the timetable of his life, here's a couple of things he's seen in the life of himself and the life of his, his master, Elisha. He's seen God raise a dead kid back to life. He's seen a woman who couldn't get pregnant for decades suddenly, miraculously, at the word of God, bear a child. He's seen an army commander who was sent to Elisha for prayer, and Elisha said, the Lord said he's going to heal your leprosy. Just go dip in the river seven times, and you'll come out completely healed. And he saw God bring about a miraculous healing to somebody who could not be healed by medicine of their time. He's seen healing. He's seen the dead brought back to life. He's seen life brought to dead wombs. He's seen some supernatural stuff. And yet his response, when he surveys the situation he finds himself in now, is this is bleak. We're going to die. This is how it ends for me. And I'd love to villainize him, but as I studied through this story, here's what I found. I don't think he could help himself. In fact, I think he was prone to this problematic perspective, and here's why. By definition, Gehazi's name in Hebrew means narrow vision. (laughs) Literally, Everything he saw, it was like it was prophesied over him from a young age. Everything you're going to see, you'll see through this very narrow lens. You have no perspective. You have no ability to see beyond what you're facing right now. You have a narrow vision of the situation. So it is no surprise that a guy with that name would freak out in the face of opposition. But let me ask you this morning, before we criminalize this guy for having narrow vision. Do you know anybody who seems to have a problematic perspective about life? Do you know anybody that seems to always play out the worst case scenario, make mountains out of molehills, 
Someone who has the spiritual gift of freak out. Does anybody know anyone like that? How many were sitting next to that person today? <laughs> How many bold enough to admit you are that person today, okay? Okay, that's where the hands all go up. We're like, I'm not just sitting next to them, I am sitting them. I am them, okay. That's that Gehazi, narrow vision spirit that so many of us seem to have. I grew up with um, a Gehazi in my house, not literally, but someone with that spirit. Uh, and my mom and dad just so happened to not be here this morning because they're on vacation. So what better time to put my mom on blast than when she's not present to defend herself? I love my mom. My mom is one of the most faith-filled, prayerful, positive people on the planet. She's incredible. But if she has a flaw, she has the spiritual gift of freak out when it comes to a few areas of her life, particularly in the area of injury. Did you ever know that kid whose mom was always freaking out every time someone even got like a scrape on their elbow? You know that mom? Like my mom was the mom that the second one of us got hurt, she would rush over to the situation. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Look at me. How many fingers am I holding up? You know, look into the flashlight. Like she was that mom. She carried a gigantic first aid kit inside of her purse. And I'm like, you are not a doctor. You probably don't have permission to administer half the things that I can find inside your purse. But she always seemed to have the stuff to fix the situation. Even now, I am a grown man, okay? I'm 36 years old. And if my mom is in my presence when I hurt myself, she immediately comes rushing over and she's like, you need to clean that cutout, son. If you don't clean that cutout with peroxide and put some neosporin on it, you're probably gonna have to get your arm amputated. You need to take care of this right now. Like, she freaks out anytime someone gets hurt. Unlike my wife, who is the polar opposite. She's like, ah, just rub some lavender oil on it. It'll be fine, you know? But my arm is broken. I will use the peppermint. Like, I don't, I don't okay. <laughs> From one extreme to the other. And I vowed when I was younger, I'm like, I will not be my mom. When my kids get hurt, I'm gonna let them have some thick skin, okay? Like they can get hurt and they're gonna get up and they'll brush themselves off and everything's gonna be fine. And I'm like, you got this, son. Well, I didn't end up with sons. I got a couple of little girls. And let me tell you, I got a little Gehazi on the inside of me. I have the ability to freak out, especially if I start seeing blood on one of my kids. And I'm like, oh God, call the intercessors, get an ambulance. They probably have smallpox. Like I don't, I always freak out when my kids get hurt. Now judge me all you want, but again, honesty, how many have the ability to exaggerate a situation, to dramatize something, to freak out a little bit? Yeah, welcome to the team. That seems to be how humanity does life. We always have the ability to play out the worst possible scenario. Humanity seems to have this problematic perspective. We, we are prone to it. So let me ask you, what do you do when you find yourself in a, sim a situation similar to the one as Gehazi? Yeah, granted, you're probably not walking out on your porch and an army is surrounding your house. If they are, you probably deserved it. But I'm talking about when you're surrounded by some stuff and you feel like you're outnumbered. When it feels like you're surrounded by a diagnosis or you're surrounded by unemployment or you're surrounded by guilt or you're surrounded by depression and you seem to be outnumbered, outgunned, and there is this moment where you wonder, is this the end for me? What do you do in that situation? 
Are you prone to a problematic perspective where you just say, this is it? Or is there a supernatural thing on the inside of you that allows you to see it for what perhaps it truly is? Because I want to submit to you today, you don't need to freak out. You don't even need to fight your way out. You just need to see your way out. You need a fresh lens on that situation. Gehazi comes to Elisha and he says, hey, we're going to die. I don't know what to do about this. And look at what Elisha says to him in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. He says, don't be afraid. Meaning you're probably afraid right now. Don't be afraid. Chill out. Calm down. Breathe deep. Hakuna Matata. <laughs> Just watch that this last week. You should all go. It's amazing. Don't be afraid. I think that's a word for somebody today. Hey, chill out. Stop obsessing. Stop freaking out. God's still God. He's still on the throne. He's still familiar with every intimate detail of your life. Breathe deep. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on your side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Chariots of fire all around. <laughs> Sorry, this is what happens in my head. I want you to see something here. The situation did not change. God, I pray for, for rescue from this situation. Why haven't you changed things yet? They're surrounded by an army. Elisha prays. What happens? They're still surrounded by an army. The situation did not change. Only one thing did. Perspective. God opened up his eyes. And as Elisha prays that his servant's eyes would be opened, what, what happened? Though the situation didn't change, he began to see the reality of the real situation. <laughs> it was already there before his eyes were opened. The rescue was already waiting for them. God had already orchestrated things in such a way so that they were not going to be taken out. He just needed to see God's plan in his situation. Let me remind you of something today. If you find yourself in a situation where you're surrounded, God is not freaking out in heaven. He's rather calm about the situation. He already knows what events are gonna be orchestrated to bring about your victory and to bring about your deliverance. And remind yourself today that your enemy is in fact God's enemy. He's not gonna let an enemy surround you and leave you to your own devices to fight your own fight. No, if something is coming against you, it's coming against the spirit of God that is already on the inside of you and you have a God that doesn't stand by idly but says, no, I've already got victory spoken for. I'm already surrounding this situation and you don't need to worry about deliverance. You just need to see what I see. You need my perspective on this thing. God wants to give you a fresh set of eyes. Maybe we need to stop praying for deliverance and we need to pray for perspective. Maybe what the enemy intends for harm is actually gonna be turned for your good 
but you just need to see this thing play out a little bit. Because listen, you can die in the middle of the problem by confessing, this is where it ends for me, by living in that headspace. Or you can say, God, I need some new eyes to see this thing and get through it. Now, here's the part of the sermon where we have to eliminate the ambiguity and make this thing practical because ultimately that all sounds great, but you're like, cool, how? (laughs) Thanks for making me laugh. This was a cute sermon and I appreciate some of the things you said and you do have great ankles, but like I need to figure out how I'm supposed to see myself out of this thing. Like I, I I don't know what to do. I'm still facing a very real enemy. There is still a very real problem coming against me. What do I do with that? And I'm going to offer you these three words. They're very simple, but they're very powerful if you will simply institute this in your life. Ready? Just look up. Just look up. It says that when Elisha prayed for his servant, that God opened up his eyes. And it says in verse 17, the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, when when he stopped looking out, when he stopped looking around, but when he simply adjusted the degree of his focus and he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He stopped staring at the problem. He stopped giving all of his attention to the issue and he said, I'm going to look to God. I'm going I'm to stop trying to figure this out in the natural and I'm going to adjust my perspective. I'm just going to look up. And when he looked up, he saw something that he did not see before. Now you're like, okay, again, kind of ambiguous. What are we talking about? Psalm 34, verse 3. Let us magnify the Lord together. Let us exalt his name. I read that scripture incorrectly for many years, and I would assume that probably some of us in the room may not understand the gravity of this scripture, because when I read this scripture for many years, I thought it was a redundancy. I thought it was saying the same thing twice. Let's magnify God. Let's exalt God. Let's lift up his name like we did in worship. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus. Well, as the English would suggest, so it is in the Hebrew. They're two separate words with two entirely different meanings. And while exalt does mean what we would expect it to mean, let's lift up the name of Jesus, magnify has a completely different meaning. Here's what the word magnify means in the Hebrew. It's the word gadol, and it means to grow, to become great, and to make powerful. Let us magnify, let us gadol the name of the Lord. Let us exalt him. Let let me ask you this morning, based on that definition, in fact, if you can leave that on on the screen for a moment, can you do anything to make God grow? No. He's about as big as he's gonna get. Can you do anything in your humanity to make God become more great than he is right now? Can you bestow more greatness on God? No. Can you make him more powerful than he is currently? Absolutely not. So then what does the psalmist mean when he says we are to magnify the Lord? 
We can't do that. What's he, what's he getting at here? Let me show you. All of us have one of these in front of our faces. You can't avoid it in your humanity. Whatever you see with your eyes is being magnified right now. It's, it's unavoidable. This, this is the human condition. And thus, wherever you're looking, things feel a little bit greater than perhaps they really are. This is why you have the ability when you see that surprise bill in the mail or you get the diagnosis or things don't play out the way you thought they would, you have the ability to dramatize it. It's why I have the ability to dramatize things. It's because whatever we're seeing, we're seeing through this lens. It's being magnified. It's that thing that keeps you up late at night when you're like, I wish I could just go to sleep, but that situation just keeps replaying in your, in your head over and over and over again. It's why when you wake up in the morning, that problem is the first thing you think about. It's why it manifests in all of your conversations and on your social media and you force everybody else to walk through the same problem that you're walking through right now. Thanks for posting about it. Appreciate it. You're all carrying one of these. And we can't control the fact that our human condition causes us to magnify whatever we're gazing at. But there is one thing you can control where you point it. You can point it at what's surrounding you or you can look up. You can magnify the problem or you can magnify the power that will get you out of that problem. You can magnify the situation or you can magnify the solution. See, you can choose to look all around you, or if you just simply begin to look to Jesus, if you be simply begin to get in his word and get into his presence and make a commitment to be in his house and to pray like you've never prayed before, suddenly you look up to the one who can resolve the situation you find yourself in, and although you're not making him any bigger than he already is, you are beginning to perceive him for who he truly is. And you begin to realize in that moment, wait a minute, Although I might be surrounded, I'm sur there's someone that's surrounding that which surrounds me. It might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Like, you have a fresh confession now about what you're looking at. You realize, no, that army might be big, that problem might be big, but God is in fact still bigger than my problem. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he healed back then, he's gonna heal today. If he provided back then, he's gonna provide today. If he delivered back then, he's gonna deliver today. I can still trust in the name of the Lord and I can run to him as a refuge and a strong tower regardless of what I'm walking through right now. How? <laughs> I just look up. I think that there are so many people who instead of running to God, find themselves trying to fix whatever they're facing in the flesh. They just try to do it alone. But although it sounds simple and almost like a retreat, like you're not doing anything, the most powerful thing you can do, regardless of what you're walking through right now, is make a fresh commitment to fix your eyes on Jesus. To realize he's the answer, he's the rescue, he is what you need to get out of this situation. Just look up and you'll get his perspective. Now, now here's how I wanna end this morning, and band, you guys can come.
It says in the story that Elisha prayed for his servant, and when he prayed for his servant, he said, God, open up his eyes. And when the Lord opened up Gehazi's eyes, he saw something he didn't see before. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that you would get a fresh set of eyes on whatever you're facing right now. And life might be going great for some of us in the room. That's awesome. But I think we all have something that we could say is surrounding us right now. If you got nothing, I'll let you borrow one of mine. I feel like we're in a city right now that is surrounded by the enemy. And the enemy's angry because the church is rising up in a way like it never has before in San Francisco history. And we're seeing life and new churches pop up all the time. Every, every week, people are getting saved. As of last weekend, nearly 270 people just in this church have given their life to Jesus in 10 months. Like that makes the enemy angry. And the fleshly perspective is, okay, I just don't want this thing to run out of steam. And, you know, okay, we're going to do our best. And maybe this is as good as it gets. The enemy still has a foothold and a stronghold in this city. But the godly perspective is, revival is coming. <laughs> Thousands are coming to the name of Jesus. This city's best days are ahead of it and not behind it. And he's not gonna stop here. He's gonna work his way down the south of, the, of this city and we're gonna make our way into Daly City and, and South City and San Bruno and he's gonna sweep all along the west coast. Like there is something happening in the spirit right now. That's the right perspective. And listen, you need you need a fresh perspective for what you're facing right now. You, you have to have it. Please don't try to do this in the flesh. Even Jesus needed a supernatural perspective on this planet. One of my favorite scriptures in the, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross and scorned its shame. What is that? That's perspective. He endured the cross. He endured the most gruesome torture mechanism of the day a death that you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy, he endured it, how? Because he saw something on the other side of it, for the joy that was set before him. When Jesus endured the cross, he saw you, he saw me, he saw billions of people who have called upon his name, and in that moment he said, I know that this hurts and this is painful and I don't wanna go through this right now, but I see something on the other side of this. I have a perspective that goes beyond this moment, and since I can see beyond this moment, I am willing to endure this season so that something great will come of it. Supernatural perspective. And, and listen, if you're here today and you're like, this is my cross to bear, this is the season I'm walking through and this is difficult, you need to see through this thing. I, I asked Carlos yesterday uh, if I could have them play this simple four chord progression at the end of the service, because although I joked and tried to sing it out earlier, I think it's a powerful declaration to say, it might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by Jesus. It might look like I'm surrounded by an enemy, but my perspective needs to change and I need to see that there is one who surrounds that which surrounds me. And, and I wrote a couple of things down and we'll sing this out at the end if you wanna stick around and worship a little bit, but here's the perspective I want you to have this morning. It might look like you're surrounded by sickness, but you're surrounded by a healer. It might look like you're surrounded by lack, but you're surrounded by a provider. It might look like you're surrounded by defeat, but you're surrounded by a victor. It might look like you're surrounded by loss, but you are surrounded by a restorer. It might look like you're surrounded by shame, but you're surrounded by a redeemer. 
It might look like you're surrounded by brokenness, but you are surrounded by a rebuilder. It might look like you're surrounded by burnout, but you are surrounded by the refresher. And it might look like you're surrounded by loneliness, but you're surrounded by the befriender. It might look like you're surrounded by fatherlessness, but you're surrounded by the father. And it might look like you're surrounded by fear, but you are surrounded by the comforter. You need a fresh perspective on your situation. You need to see through God's eyes, God lens. Just look up. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helps you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.